preschool and your prayers are doing a great job in impacting an awful lot of people. So um, the Gospel of John tells this amazing and thought-provoking story about suffering and just as importantly, how people view suffering. And the story goes a little like this. One day Jesus was on earth, he's walking around, he's healing people, teaching, answering questions. And as he's walking with his disciples, they pass a handicapped guy who was suffering. Actually, he had suffered for a long time because he was born blind, but it was also a form of suffering for his parents who had to raise a handicapped kid. And in their old age, they had less of a support system. They passed a man born blind. And Jesus, as he walks by a tragedy, and I, I should point out, it's probably worse than you think it was. In ancient society, they didn't have braille or anti-discrimination laws. There were no major protections for handicapped people. So Jesus and his disciples walked past a guy who was born, and before he had the chance to do anything, before he spoke, before he saw the sunrise or saw the smiles of loved ones, he was sentenced to a life of just bare survival in the ancient world. He was a beggar, and it was sad. Most days, this man born blind, he sat and listened to people feeling sorry for him, and there was some uh, financial incentive to be reminded that he was suffering, so he would cry out and ask for alms. In fact, his situation was so bad, he became a conversation topic. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus walks by, and people ask Jesus questions. Uh, Jesus was a religious teacher. Religious people were the most generous for charities, and Jesus gets asked a simple question. And no one had to ask the question. Uh, there's a man who is suffering, and it seems unfair, and all people had to do is go, this is so sad, I don't know why this happened, but we got to help him out. But most people back then and today want to figure things out. It's really hard to, in faith, just shrug and say, it doesn't make sense, but I'm going to trust God anyway. Uh, so back then and today sometimes, people like us go a step past going, it's so sad, to going, why, to projecting judgment. And it makes sense. When you can't see the whole big puzzle that God sees, we make sense whatever puzzle piece we have. So folks went, this suffering doesn't make sense. Why would it happen? And that's fine, but here's the next step. That isn't fine. People like to go, oh, I know exactly what God's doing. God must have wanted to whatever. Like, we just guess. I'll be honest, I do this. I'll go, I got stuck in traffic. God must have known I needed a second to myself. Suffering must have a reason, right? We, we do this a lot, right? And sometimes it might be right. Maybe I need a second to myself. Maybe it's just guessing. But people do this. We try and perceive why God does this and why do people suffer or not suffer. And people back then and today sort of guess that God is judging people. This awful thing happened to this person. It must be because they're an awful person. Or this really good thing happened to somebody, it must be because they're a good person. And what's really hard is saying, I don't understand this, God. I'm going to trust you. So people back then in the story said, I know exactly what's going on here. They looked at a blind guy, and they go, I know what just happened here. 
suffering must be explained by God who is sovereign punishing somebody. And blessing is reward, which kind of makes sense. There are lots of times when that's true. I've experienced this. You do dumb stuff and you find out. It's not me, right? You put in the work, it pays off. Do your homework and you magically get better grades, right? Any other kids experience this? You play Roblox all day and you get worse grades. Kids, write this down. This is how it works. But people think suffering works the same way. So back then, they go, clearly, someone who's got bad grades must have not studied. Clearly, people who suffer must have done something wrong. And now what we're seeing here is God's judgment. That's how these folks explain suffering. So in the story, they ask Jesus, here's a tricky one, Jesus. We're all just going to assume that suffering is God's judgment. So this one's tricky. What do you do with birth defects, Jesus? So they asked Jesus, now here's someone, uh, obviously God's punishing him for sin, right? We're not even going to debate this. But the question is, who sinned? Did this man sin, like, in utero? Like, what's going on here? Or did his parents sin? Because this is punishment. If suffering is God's fair and just judgment, and if people in bad spots are bad people, in this case, Jesus, is a tricky one, who, who did something wrong? Was it Jesus? Was it the man or son? By the way, you got to feel so bad for the guy. Like, he's blind. He's not deaf. You ever think about that? So he's hearing this every day, sitting, begging people, uh, please have mercy on me. And he's listening to people speculate about what he must have done in utero to get the punishment. Or maybe people are going, oh, I know. God must have known he'd grow up to be, I don't know, a serial killer or Hitler or something. He's like, no, 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 I, I wouldn't do any of that stuff. Uh, why are you saying mean things about me? I'm just a blind guy who's going. And sometimes, to be fair and to be honest about how easy it is to think this way, sometimes people who suffer absolutely did something wrong. I'm just going to say this up front. If you find me in the hospital with a broken leg because I wanted to watch a Super Bowl, but I had to adjust my antenna, and uh, it was icy on the roof, and I didn't want to use a real ladder in the middle of the night, <laughs> without a ladder, like the prayer chain would probably start off with, please pray for Pastor Sam. He's an idiot, right? <laughs> because sometimes you do dumb stuff and you get hurt. There are times where victims deserve some blame, but what do you do? with someone who's healthy and they get cancer? What do you do when an innocent person gets hit by a drunk driver's car? What do you do when a man has been born blind? Or how do you make sense of all the suffering that is obviously not the victim's fault? Now, in our story, everyone is speculating. The guy must have done something wrong. Maybe he was going to do something wrong. Maybe his parents did something wrong, because how else could you explain why people suffer? How else could it make sense? So the question they asked Jesus is, what did who do? That seems so weird, because you probably know how the story goes, but it's a very familiar question. Because lots of us, deep down, like it or not, we don't know how to perceive suffering. So sometimes, deep down, Maybe because we imagine God thinks like us, we look down on people who are down because we think they must have done something wrong. 
And, and, and I think it's so easy to assume that outcome is linked to behavior. We think that maybe God is like karma. And maybe it's not even obvious ways, but we, by default, judge people who are suffering. That happens sometimes. But the lesson of the story, what Jesus says next, shocks both the blind guy and everybody. Because instead of giving the answer, right, like everyone else must have, uh, the man must have done this, or he would have done this, or his parents did this. But Jesus says, the, the man is blind, but you need to know you're all asking the wrong questions. It's not because his parents did anything wrong. And it's not because he did anything wrong. And the audience is like, Jesus, it's a multiple choice test. You got to pick one. And Jesus answers, you could have heard a pin drop. I imagine that every religious teacher who had walked by before and asked the same questions would have made a hundred guesses about what this man or what his parents did or would have done. Jesus shocks everyone and goes, uh, you're asking the wrong question. This happened. So see what's behind me? so that the works of God, that the glory of God might be displayed. And then Jesus heals him, shows off God's power, the man turns into evangelist, and spends his time pointing people back to Jesus. And I want to be clear, if I were in charge of the world, that's not how it would work. If it were me today, I would get an incentive system in place. If I were in charge, the absolute worst things would happen to who? The worst people, right? The best things would happen to the best people. That's just how I'd run the world. That's how I think the world should work. In fact, I don't want to be irrelevant here, but if I were the blind man here, I'd be so thankful. It's great to see. Thank you, Jesus. But I'd have questions. Uh, in fact, again, I, don't want to, I wouldn't want to be irreverent, but I'd go, Jesus, cool miracle, thank you. But you know what else would have been great? For me not to have been blind my whole life. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Or uh, you could display the works of God, just spitballing here, Jesus. You could have made more wine out of water. That'd be great. Uh, I could have seen uh, wine show up from uh, water. Or you could have done the miracle of multiplying the chicken wings. That'd be great. Just live, let me live my life. But that's what I would have said. But Jesus teaches a really hard lesson that we have to learn over and over again. That faith, sometimes means not knowing why suffering happens. That this messy world doesn't always make sense. God isn't a calculator. You don't put in the same things and get the same outcome. It doesn't make sense. God is God. We are not. We can't always explain it. And if we're the people in that story, we shouldn't spend all of our time trying to figure out how to blame people. We should try and help people. Whatever we do, I think one of the lessons of this story is to be kind. Don't talk down at the blind guy. Don't blame the blind guy. Help the blind guy. Don't make this assumption that's so easy that people who are unfortunate are bad people and people who are blessed are good people. Help the blind guy out. He's just a guy. God doesn't treat people like karma does. God may not even make sense in given moments, so you shouldn't be judgmental either. Now, I'm telling this story. It's, it's a favorite story. I love it, but I'm trying to introduce this week's section of the book of James. And for weeks, we have been studying the book of James through the topic of suffering. And so far in the book of James, if you've been here, James has taught us 
how to look at suffering. When you're suffering, you need to know that it's a test. We live in a broken, messed up world, and you don't get to control all of your circumstances. What you can control is how you react to it. Life is short, heaven is a long time, and you can consider every trial with joy, James says. In other words, you can face adversity with contentment and gratitude because persistence helps you in faith when you believe in a faithful, loving, sovereign God. And that's important to know how to think because suffering disorients you. When you're in a trial, up seems down, down seems up, it's hard to know which way to go. And I would encourage you to read the first half of chapter one of James. It helps teach us how to think in trials. Last week, we looked at the second part of James 1 that says not just how to think, but what to do in trials. And this is such a big lesson, because most people don't think they have a choice about what to do in suffering. We think that when bad things happen to us, we have no choice but to lash out and hurt people, hurt people. And James offers another way. It starts like this, uh, Brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's how we started last week. That's what you should do when you're suffering instead of lashing out at people. And then the chapter ends with a call to, instead of navel-gazing, obsessed with your own rough circumstances, look at other people and not to let the toxicity of suffering to pollute your soul, to not go in bad directions just because you're in a bad spot. James puts it this way, religion or worship that our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's what we've covered in the book of James. We've covered chapter 1. And James, have gone, James has gone from how to think about yourself in suffering, and he started to pivot toward what you do, and then starts to pivot to how you treat other people. And in the next section, I'll be honest, there's a bunch of different ways of taking this section of scripture. I'm going to give you my take and just admit there are more isolated ways of taking this passage. Here's my take. I read chapter 2 of James. This is a stretch. I think it's connected to chapter 1. In other words, James is talking about suffering. You're going to experience suffering. You'll be in trials of every kind. And you need to know it's not because God doesn't love you. God isn't treating you differently as a punishment per se. Uh, Jesus suffered. God loves Jesus. You go through trials because, well, James doesn't tell you why. But does say to trust God, care for others, and God will make good things out of bad things. That's chapter one. And here's what I think James is doing next. I think James is, is making this pivot. Speaking of others, orphans, widows, speaking of God not treating people how they deserve. In other words, there's the fact that your suffering isn't necessarily a statement about God's love or dislove for you. James says, if that's true about you, let's talk about how you look at other people. Let's talk about the, the glasses that you look through to see people who are suffering. 
let's talk about how you perceive other people going through trials. And let's be consistent here. There is a part of us, and maybe it's messed up by suffering, but it's a problem. We, I think, are like the people in the story with Jesus. We almost can't help looking at people differently based on their status. And maybe it's because deep down in the back of our head, we think that there is a link between their status, whether they're blessed or going through trouble, and what God thinks about them. We're going to talk about it. Here's verse 1 of chapter 2. James writes, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you must not show favoritism. What does that mean? He sets it up. Here's a scenario. Suppose a man comes to your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and then a poor man with filthy old clothes also comes in. James says, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a fine seat for you, but say the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not, look at this line, discriminated among yourself and become, you've become judges with evil thoughts. Now here's my take. I think one of the lies that suffering tells you is that every time you encounter suffering, and every time you encounter blessing is a form of God's immediate blessing. And that can mess you up. It messes you up because when you suffer, you start asking, does God really love me? And the Bible says over and over again, you shouldn't feel like that. You shouldn't go, if God loves me, would this really happen? Yes, it would. And James says you shouldn't feel like that because God doesn't judge mechanically or instantly. That's something we've talked about a lot. This, I think, is is about something different. It's how we view other people who suffer. And I think there's a part of us that we look at people who are rich or poor, suffering or healthy, and in the back of our heads, we go, the blind man must have done something wrong. And when we do that, we become judges with evil thoughts, James says. Here's why we need to learn this lesson. I'm convinced that if you really can understand what James 1 says about how to think about various trials of many kinds that happen to us, if you understood trials as a test that through perseverance made you stronger, it would empower you to be more loving to other people who are going through trials, and it would make you more secure. So why should we do this? Why should we not show favoritism? Why does James say we should show love to people who are blind or who are poor just as much as we would treat someone born healthy or rich? James gives a couple reasons, and they're a little bit complicated, but I, I had to think a lot of, well, I'll say this, I had to think especially long about the last line of, well, I guess it's verse four. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become, is this a strange line? Judges with evil thoughts. And I spent a lot of time just reading this, scratching my head going, how would treating a blind man differently than a seeing man make me a judge? And what evil thoughts would I be thinking? And I think it's really easy to think about, uh, we see the word favoritism and we think maybe modern discrimination or prejudicial categories into that. And that, that, that may very well be right, but I, I just, I wonder, I mean, my, I think this has to do more with suffering than anything else. Here's my take. I think this is what's happening. 
Christians are looking at the rich and the poor. They're looking at people who could see and people who are blind. They're looking at people who are healthy and who get just unavoidable sickness. And they believe in a sovereign God. And they're thinking what people dare not say out loud. I wonder what that person did wrong to get cancer. I wonder what he did wrong to have all those medical bills have him lose his house. It had to be something, right? Like if, if God's in control, why don't they like, why doesn't God like that person? I, I think we sometimes do this. Or on the other side, as we go, here's someone who's healthy and wealthy. I wonder what good, faithful things they did so God would reward them. And then I, I think the problem James is talking about is we treat people differently. We show favoritism because we think that their circumstances are a result of God judging them. We go, their kids are rebellious, they must have been the worst parents. They went bankrupt, they must have tithed more, and maybe God would have rewarded the market better. They bought a second house, God must love them. I mean, we just almost can't help as human beings who believe in a powerful God, but to explain blessing and hardship in terms of coming from the sovereign God. And in those moments, when we label people as deserving or not deserving God's favor. You see what James calls that? He calls it evil. In other words, if you're walking by the blind guy and you just figure he's being punished for sin in his life, James says that's just not inaccurate. James calls it evil. Why would that be evil? A couple reasons. I'm just going to read what James says. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him, but you have dishonored the poor? In other words, James says, I mean, think about the people in the Bible who God has elevated. Make a list. Listen to kids' stories. God doesn't think how you do. Think about Abraham, Moses, Sarah, Rahab, David, Isaiah, Jesus, Paul, James. Like, the list of people you find in the Bible are not people who are problem-free. You find people in the Bible who pray, and God does not turn everything they touch into gold. It would be hard to find a biblical hero in the Bible who did not have massive struggle and disappointment. King David's kids... They didn't just not walk with the Lord. They tried to murder him. Like, that's not good. And those poor people in the Bible, those are the ones who get the kingdom. God doesn't pick teams the way you do. God honors and loves people who are suffering, the vulnerable, the sick, the struggling, the poor. Jesus is there going, I wonder who should, I, I should pick to be an evangelist. Maybe one of the people asking the hard theological questions. no. He picks the blind guy, right? The blind guy becomes the evangelist. So don't judge people because they're suffering or fortunate. It may not be the judgment from God that you think it is. Because God doesn't pick like you do. In fact, God does the opposite that we do sometimes. That's the first reason James gives for treating people without favoritism. Second reason James goes, oh, by the way, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? 
Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name to whom you belong? I just, this is in my own head. I, uh, James was Jewish. I hear James with a thick New York Jewish accent like a Jerry Seinfeld or John Stewart or something. Very sarcastic here. I can't do the voice, but I hear him going, really? Really you think the people in our society with all the money and all the power and all the fame like, you really think they're secretly devout Christians or something? Really? <laughs> like, uh, you hear about King Herod. What a nice guy. You hear about the Emperor Nero burning Christians alive. And you go, wow, he must be secretly a really good person. Really? Like, you think that's what's going on? Or even now, think about the most powerful people on our planet. People in government. The ones with power or in media, entertainment. Think about the wealthiest people in the world. Really? You think that like, there's secretly like giants of faith and God's rewarding them with good behavior? Really, you think that? I'm probably not. Like, karma isn't God. God doesn't make sense. God isn't going, I'm going to give the most money to the most uh, pious person I could find. Like, it doesn't work like that, obviously. And if God doesn't immediately punish people who deserve punishment, maybe you shouldn't either. The fact is, we don't understand what God's doing. But we know this, God is merciful, and he's kind, and he's patient, and he's loving, so you should too. And then James, this is a lot here, follow along for a second. James says, if you really keep the law found in scripture, you know what God tells you to do? Love your neighbors yourself. If you're doing that, you're doing right. But, here's will get tricky, when you show favoritism, you have sinned, and you're convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles on one point is guilty of keeping all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. But if you don't commit adultery but you commit murder, you've broken the law. And this is a complicated, weird, gotcha argument. The logic goes like this. If you really think that people who break God's law are the ones who are suffering, I get that, Right? Uh, if you really think that the blind man is blind because God is punishing him for a sin, that, that makes sense. But think about this. If God says two things, right? Don't murder and don't commit adultery. And you only do one of those things. Did you break the law? Yes. If uh, God says love your neighbor and you don't love your neighbor, what does that make you right now? You just broke God's law. If you say, God says, uh, love your neighbor, and you're inventing reasons why not to love your neighbor, guess what you deserve? If God punishes people instantly who break the law, guess who deserves to be punishment? You do. James is a complicated argument, but James says, if you in that moment says, I will treat this person differently because they're a filthy, rotten sinner, guess what that makes you? You're a filthy, rotten sinner, and you're breaking God's law. And if God worked the way you think he does, if God instantly makes people blind for breaking his law, well, you'd be shopping for canes and trying to find a nice-seeing eye dog. It's, it's James' argument. And it may make sense that God instantly punishes people, but it doesn't work that way. If it did, you'd be punished. Thinking that way, James says, is evil, and it's not the gospel, and it's not how God treats people. You need to know this. God doesn't instantly see sin and send a bolt of lightning. Sometimes I wish he would. I wish 
God would do more smiting and send more bolts of lightning on other people, not me. But God doesn't quickly judge like that. He's patient. God allows us freedom. God allows me to sin and mess up. And he's patient and he's merciful. And we should be patient and merciful to other people. That's complicated. It's in the weeds. I wanted to give you it because it's scripture, uh, but it's a lot. But it has a simple, simple lesson. The simple takeaway from all of this is that if you believe in a God like that, a God who is powerful, merciful, and loving, if you're following a God who is sovereign in a messy world, who allows freedom and suffering and hope, if that's how you view God, that should affect how you perceive people. That if you could really see what God's like, you would speak and you would act, see what it says here, as those who will be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. There's a lot, it's complicated, but let me reduce it. Even if you're suffering, especially as you look at other people who are suffering, and you're wondering, what is the right thing to do? What is the right thing to do? How should I navigate this? How should I deal with this? Sometimes the simplest path is the right one to take. This is the right thing to do. James 2 verse 8 says this. If you really keep the royal law of Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. I'm going to say it again. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. What should you do? What is the right thing to do? Today, I think God is telling you this. You know what the right thing to do is? What's what Jesus tells you to do. James didn't invent this. This is Jesus. We make it complicated. We go, people deserve or don't deserve our love. I'll be honest, people are really hard. Hurt people, hurt people. Sometimes helping hurts. All all those cliches are 100% true. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you'll encounter people who are a joy to be around. You'll also find people who will drain every bit of emotion that you have. Loving your neighbors as yourself, it's never been easy. Love your neighbor can be as hard as talking to that one person who's always ruining your day and dragging you down. Loving your neighbor can be as challenging as going to a different country like Ghana to treat hundreds of students, even as an incredibly busy medical student. That's loving your neighbors. It might look like giving generously and praying uh, to support a church that's loving people like this or praying for you to make a difference. I mean, there are a thousand things each of us can do to fulfill our mission of loving your neighbor as yourself. But the one thing that you can't do is see your neighbor who needs help and look down in judgment at them. That's the one thing you can't do. Because God is so much more merciful and patient with us than we are for other people. 
and our own suffering or the suffering of other people is no excuse to mistreat the people that God loves deeply. And when, you're comp- when it's complicated, when it's messy, when you're, when you're trying to figure out what to do, when you're trying to find the right thing, here's the right thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Father in heaven, I pray that you would give us wisdom as we each navigate difficult circumstances. As we encounter neighbors, friends, coworkers, students at school, family, folks in our community, and as we, as we have empathy with them, as we try and understand what their various trials look like, can you help us to love our neighbors as ourselves? Can you give us the wisdom to figure out what that looks like? Give us the wisdom to prioritize how we best help, manage, and steward all that you've given us. But maybe most of all, God, I pray that you would speak to us first, that you would give us an awareness of your love, that you would fill up our cups so that we can overflow with blessing in the lives of others. Lord, could you speak to us that we may speak your love and your kindness and your generosity to the people around us. I saw this in the name of your son who loved us so much that he came and he died for us, that Jesus went through unbearable suffering because he loved us. And in the cross that's behind me, we see an image of the fact that you can bring beautiful, wonderful things out of injustice Can you give us a small sight of what that looks like? Yes, all this in the powerful name of the risen Lord Jesus. Amen.